following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Life in Christ. Jesus provided deep insight into life through his parables, and we will see that in three parables we are considering this morning, the parable of the fig tree, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and the parable of the dragnet. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The parable of the fig tree was set up by a dramatic incident. Luke reports that some came who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices. Roman soldiers had apparently slaughtered a group of Galileans in the temple so that their own blood was mingled with the sacrifices that had been brought for an offering to God. The people who came and reported this to Jesus, this terrible atrocity, surely reported it with a great deal of righteous indignation. Did you hear, Jesus, they would have said, how Pilate's soldiers slaughtered those Galileans in the temple so that their own blood flowed into the blood of the sacrifices at the altar? The questioners were expecting that Jesus would soundly denounce those wicked Roman soldiers. For a modern-day parallel, imagine that people came today to Jesus and said, have you heard, Jesus, about what Russians are doing in Ukraine, how they have bombed children, how they've shot villagers in cold blood, how they are causing enormous death and destruction in a brutal imperialist invasion? We would expect Jesus to thoroughly condemn those evildoers. What did Jesus say? Unless you repent, you will perish too. At the moment, when everyone was expecting that Jesus would pass judgment on the terrible sinners out there, Jesus turned, the, turned everything around and fixed the spotlight on the questioner's own soul. In the process, Jesus also critiqued what some people around him were thinking about those Galileans who had died. In Jesus' day, there was a widespread notion that if misfortune befell someone, it must be a consequence of the person's own sin. Some people would therefore have been thinking that those Galileans who died must have somehow been deserving of their fate. But Jesus completely rejected this notion that misfortune is a kind of punishment for a person's sin. Do you think, he said, that those Galileans were worse sinners than others in Galilee? I tell you, no. He then lifted up another recent tragedy that would have been in the minds of his hearers, the collapse of a tower in the village of Siloam, which is in the Jerusalem area, which killed 18 people. He asked, those 18 upon whom the tower fell in Siloam and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than others? I tell you, no. In the face of evil and tragedy in the world, Jesus' listeners were wanting to focus on the sins of others. We often do the same thing. Whenever something bad happens, we start talking about who is at fault. Jesus recognized that there is real evil in the world at large. 
but he pressed people to acknowledge that the place to which we need to give primary attention is our own spiritual condition. If we want to change the world for the better, the point we need to begin is in our own heart and mind. And so he said twice for emphasis, unless you repent, you too will perish. He then told the parable of the fig tree. Listen again to this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The fig tree in the Bible is typically a symbol of blessing. Fig trees will bear fruit several months out of the year, but a fig tree without figs represents failed promise, something that does not live up to its intended potential. In the parable, the owner of the farm has a fig tree planted in his vineyard. It was in fact common in Israel to have fruit trees in vineyards. It took six years for a fig tree to start producing good figs. In the parable, the owner has been coming to this tree for three years, expecting to find good figs, which implies that the fig tree, at the point of the story, is nine years old. It's had plenty of time to produce. It's been in the orchard for a long while. The owner is frustrated to discover that this fig tree, which ought to be loaded with figs, has not produced any. So he says to the caretaker of the vineyard, cut it down. Why should it be using up the soil any longer? From the context, the fig tree clearly symbolizes what Jesus had just said about our need to repent, that is, to turn our life around before God. For if we do not repent, like the fig tree, we are destined to perish. In short, the fig tree represents the individual before God, or it could represent a whole nation before God. In the parable, the tree does not just appear in the vineyard by chance, it's been planted there by the owner. Likewise, we are not here just by chance, we have each been placed here by God. The tree is planted in the vineyard in a good place conducive to growth. We likewise have been planted in a place conducive to spiritual growth on a beautiful planet full of abundance where the hand of God can clearly be seen in many ways and where we specifically are the heirs of 2,000 years of the proclamation of the gospel. And the fig tree has been put in the vineyard for a purpose, to bear fruit. Elsewhere, Jesus said to his disciples, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We have been put here to share in the purposes of God. But what if we fall short of our intended purpose? What if our fruit is meager or not there at all? John the Baptist had said, even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
In the parable, the word of judgment falls upon the tree, cut it down. But wait, the gardener in the vineyard intercedes. Let it alone for now, he says. Let me work with it for a while. The tree gets another chance. This is a dramatic picture of what Jesus Christ does in human lives. In Jesus' day, there were many people who had been written off by the religious establishment as just being pure sinners. They were condemned, it was expected, they would simply be cut down by God. But again and again, Jesus gave people another chance. Another chance is precisely what Jesus offers to each one of us, often many times in our lives, whenever we fall short, whenever we are not where we ought to be, when we're not yielding much for God, Jesus offers forgiveness. Indeed, when the gardener in the parable says of the tree, let it alone, he uses a word that in the original Greek is the same word that means forgive. That very word appears in the Lord's Prayer in, in the phrase, forgive us our trespasses. Jesus offers us mercy that we might yet find our place in God's garden. Furthermore, in the parable, the gardener not only overlooks the tree's past failure to bear fruit, but he goes on to nurture the tree. He tills the soil and puts fertilizer around it that it might finally thrive and bear fruit. It is a poignant image for how Christ would nurture us. But at this juncture, an interesting word appears in the parable. The word for fertilizer is specifically the word manure. Understandably, this word appears only twice in the New Testament. But in a way, it's appropriate that manure is featured in this parable as a, a symbol of or part of restoration. A central message of the parable is that things that people may be inclined to disdain or reject can, by God's power, become something very good. Manure may seem to be pure waste, but farmers discovered centuries ago that by composting it, you can get really good fertilizer. The tree at the beginning of the parable appeared to be pure waste, but the gardener believed it could become a fruitful tree in the vineyard. Human lives at times may not seem to be what they ought to be, but God's transforming power can create new destinies. Notably, the parable stops abruptly at the point when the gardener intercedes. We are never told how things turn out with the tree. Like many parables, this parable is open-ended because we are to create the ending. The point when the gardener intercedes signifies the point when Christ enters into human life, offering new chances, offering to nurture and transform human life. The key question now for each one of us is whether we will in fact repent, which means to open our lives to Christ, to receive his forgiveness, to receive the transforming power of Christ for our own hearts and lives so that we might finally bear abundant fruit for the kingdom of God. The same question can be asked of a whole society. On this Juneteenth day, 
we may think of how our society is called to repent of past sins of racism and how under God's inspiration we might move into new and right directions. Questions about fruitfulness and judgment of sin appear in a similar fashion in the second parable we heard this morning, the parable of the wheat and the tares, tares being an old English word for weeds. The parable goes as follows. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and pull the weeds? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. As in the parable of the fig tree, the scenario in this parable is that there are parts of the farm that are not positively productive. There are weeds in the wheat field. In the parable of the fig tree, the owner initially wants to cut the tree down. In the parable here, the weeds and the tares, the servants are thinking, that they should go in and pull the weeds. This is how people often respond when they see wrongdoers in the world. They think the wrongdoers should be eliminated. In Jesus' day, there were some Pharisees who had a prayer in which they prayed that a Messiah would come who would condemn, smash, and drive out the sinners. Throughout Christian history, there have been Christians at times who have likewise imagined that their job was weed pulling, that they should be rooting out the evildoers from God's field. And thus we've had the inquisition and heretic burnings and religious fights of all sorts. But in this parable, Jesus points out a basic problem with that whole weed pulling idea. In God's field, the wheat and the weeds are thoroughly intertwined so that even well-meaning human beings may have a hard time separating one from the other. This past week, the Southern Baptist Convention held its annual meeting, and some of the messengers, as they call the delegates, felt that there was a big weed that needed to be pulled out of the Southern Baptist Convention namely Saddleback Church, a megachurch in California headed for years by Rick Warren that's been affiliated with the Southern Baptist Church. The reason they thought that, that was a weed needing to be pulled was because last year, Saddleback started ordaining women as pastors. Southern Baptist doctrine states that only men can hold the title of pastor. After a personal appeal from Rick Warren, Saddleback remained for the moment in the Southern Baptist Convention, but the story provides a very current illustration of principles in Jesus' parable. The Saddleback Church, that some Southern Baptists considered a weed, actually has probably been the most fruitful corner of the whole Southern Baptist field. And the practice that some Southern Baptists condemned, ordaining women as pastors, 
has arguably been one of the best things happening in some Southern Baptist churches in recent years. Human beings often get confused about what is truly good and where God is actually at work, which is why in God's field, they are lousy weed pullers. In the parable, the servants are told that if they engage in weed pulling, they are going to end up doing more harm than good. And thus, they are instructed that weed pulling is not their job. They are to let the whole field grow until the harvest. Then the wheat and the tares will be separated by the reapers, who are identified later by Jesus as the angels of God. The parable makes the strong point that we should leave judgment to God. Our calling is to nurture the whole field, to share the love and goodness of God with all. Similar points are made in the final parable we heard this morning, the parable of the dragnet. The setting here shifts from the field to the lake. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. Fishing on the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a large freshwater lake, was done in those days by means of nets. Of course, we have multiple gospel stories about the disciples fishing with nets. The disciples' typical casting net was a relatively small net thrown into the water from the side of a boat. In the parable, the original Greek word for net is a different word than the word for net that appears in all the rest of the New Testament. This word denotes a specific type of net, namely a drag net. A drag net was a very large net that typically would be suspended between two boats. It had floats on the top, weights on the, Bible, on the bottom, and it would be pulled a considerable distance and finally dragged ashore. Or it could be pulled by a single boat by fixing one end to a point on shore and pulling in a giant semicircle. This type of net caught all sorts of fish, lots of fish of all kinds and other sorts of lake critters and lake stuff. As in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the situation in the end was that there was good and bad in the net all in a mix. Fishermen laboring in the water dragging such a net know that they have good and bad all in a mix collecting in the net. They simply keep pulling, pulling and pulling the net toward shore. The separation, as in the parable of the wheat and the tares, would be done at the end which in this parable, once again, is an image of God's final judgment. The human situation on earth is that we always have good and bad all in a mix. Because human beings are free to choose how they will respond to God, some will grow in God's grace and live in goodness, some will fail to produce much good, some will engage in serious evil. But people also can change, just as in the parable of the fig tree, where the fig tree could move from being unproductive to bearing much fruit. Complicating matters still further is the fact that when we consider the condition of our own soul, we may very well find that we have good and bad all in a mix within ourselves. We may have parts of our lives that need reforming. We may have various weeds in our lives. 
negative habits or practices or thoughts that impair our ability to live as God's people, if there is any weed pulling to be done, it is likely best done within ourselves that we might rid ourselves of negative behaviors and bad attitudes. Concerning the world at large, the parables suggest that we need to accept the complexity of our human condition and recognize that the world is a place where there will always be good and bad all in a mix. We do rightfully work against wrong in the world, but that does not mean engaging in self-righteous efforts to purify the world of evildoers. Some of the worst evils in human history have occurred when people engaged in militant campaigns to root out all those that they considered weeds. In recent history, for example, radical Islamists thought that they were supposed to create a utopia on earth through the destruction of all those people that they considered weeds, which included much of the world. Jesus offers a completely different vision in these parables. He calls us to focus above all on our own personal need for God's redemption, and then on a social scale, on our own society's need for redemption. And then as we experience God's transforming power, he calls us finally to be at work for the good of all, casting the net of God's love wide. Then we contribute in life-giving ways to God's harvest, and we can rejoice that the Lord of the harvest is a God of everlasting grace. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we give thanks that you are reaching to us today with grace. You are here to work in our lives with forgiveness, with transforming power. Inspire us, O oh Lord, to repent, to turn our lives towards you, that we might receive how you would be at work within us, that we might be shaped as your people enabled finally to bear abundant fruit for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that as you work in us, you draw us together into the life of your church so that together we can grow in faith, truly bearing fruit in major ways as we are able to work for a mission in the world together in a fashion far greater than we ever could do on our own. We thank you for the life of this church and for the ways we can share in, in reaching out together. We do reach out to persons who are close uh, to us in this fellowship who are in times of particular need and pray, especially this morning, for Jessica Bennett and for Cindy Vaughn, praying for your ongoing healing power. We give special thanks this morning for fathers. We think of those whose fathers have departed from this world and pray, O oh Lord, you'd give us that assurance that we are a part of an everlasting family of God. We thank you, Lord, for those ways that we can share in love as families and pray your blessing, O oh Lord, upon families of all ages that we may grow as, as your people. We thank you that we can be a church family connected with one another and we do reach out, especially lift up our fellow United Methodists this morning at the Worcester United Methodist Church. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us to make a difference in our world today, to bear fruit in our own society on this Juneteenth. We pray that you would indeed empower our work to continue to be advocates for racial justice in our time. 
in the world yet larger, we think of people in Ukraine, and we pray, Lord, for your spirit to be at work to change hearts and lives over time, that, Lord, together we might live as you intend us to live together in this beautiful world that you have entrusted to us. Lead us this morning as, as we consider our, our own lives and call, Lord, move us to recognize that you are here today to forgive, to nurture us, to lead us, to grow, inspire us as we respond to you in faith and as we lift you always the praise. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.